0: Hello, 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 and welcome to Wake Up to the Word. It is Old Testament Thursday, so glad you're joining us. You may hear some sickness in my voice. That's due to the sickness that's in my voice. Yeah, Not funny at all. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I've been sick the last several days. Uh, putting together this podcast for... For today, uh, this is our reading. For well, let's let's uh, get to the good, the important stuff first. Um, our coffee, our coffee for this week is Newman's Own. Uh, I got a French roast here from Newman's Own Organic Coffee, and it is very good. Of course, I haven't had one that I haven't liked yet, so that's this one has a little more. <clears throat> oomph to it there's no question about it uh it is a french roast and uh it doesn't say whether it's medium or oh it's dark it is a dark roast so that's why it has some more oomph in it the writing was really small and i'm kind of old so yeah that's good stuff it's it's uh it's got a lot of flavor to it so we like that so our reading for today For this week, our Old Testament reading is uh, Genesis 49 and 50, and then wraps up Genesis, and we head right into Exodus, Exodus uh, 1 through 6. So there's a lot of good stuff there, so I don't even know how long it's going to take us to get through that today, but uh, hang in there with us. I got some great stuff for you, so let's get into the Word of God. (coughs) Awesome stuff. 49 is Jacob blessing his sons. And we walk through all of them. Reuben gets a blessing. Um, Simeon and Levi get them together. Uh, talks about them having violence and swords. And then Judah gets quite a blessing. <clears throat> and this is the line that the Messiah is going to come from. It says, Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, have you have gone up he stooped down, he crouches as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So this is already, he's laying out that, uh, Judah, the line of Judah, the lion of Judah is going to come from the line of Judah. And so uh, we get to Zebulun in uh, verse 13, Issachar in 14, and then Dan. This is an interesting part here. I'm going to read that in verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his riders fall backwards. Oh, wait for your salvation. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So that's Dan. One of the things that's noteworthy about Dan is when we get to the book of Revelation all the way at the end, which will take us a while to get there, but Dan is a tribe not mentioned in the 12 tribes where 12,000 of each tribe are listed as uh, being sealed uh Dan is not listed there Dan is removed and m- most scholars believe this is a foreshadowing of that because the tribe of Dan follows idolatry quite a bit um goes after idols and uh and and uh worships them and c- people continue to go after the idols from the tribe of Dan and so they seem to lose their inheritance um, they're the eternal outsider, uh, the internal outsider, and when we get to um, Revelation, it's Manasseh, who is actually Joseph's son, and remember the one that Jacob blessed uh, the younger over the older, so, and it continues on there, Asher's, Asher's, uh, Asher gets a blessing, Naphtali and Joseph, and then... At the end of 49, uh, towards the end of 49, Benjamin, uh, gets his blessing as a ravenous wolf, uh, devouring his prey. Now, Jacob's death is recorded here at the end uh, of 49 and through 50, and it talks about, um, how much the people, um, of Egypt honored, uh, Jacob, um. Israel, uh, as he is called now. Uh, And uh, they brought him, they embalmed him, took 40 days for that, kind of a significant number again, for the embalming to take place. They did the Egyptian embalming and they brought him to be uh, buried um, to the east of Mamre, uh, the field of Mechphala, where Sarah was. So they honored that wish. They brought him down there. Um, God's uh, good purposes, Joseph's brothers. uh, They didn't didn't think that Joseph was going to uh, allow them to stay or not have them killed after their father had died, but but he assured them that, that in that famous line, as for you, as for you, you meant, this is verse 20 of chapter 50, as for you, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. So it says Joseph lived to be 110. uh, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children in the third generation, the children of Machir, his son of Manasseh, we're counted as Joseph's own. Uh, Joseph says brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old. They embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. interesting stuff going on there, and uh we'll we'll get to more of that as uh, we get into Exodus, but just a noteworthy make sure we note it right there that Joseph was buried in Egypt, but with a promise that he'd be taken out of the land when they left very good. Exodus, very interesting. It once again gives the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Uh, It says, then Joseph died and all his brothers and all his generations, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. All right, Uh, Now, I don't know what the time frame is here. We're talking hundreds of years. Now there rose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, who did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them unless they multiply. And if the war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us in escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters. So this talks about that they set taskmasters over them and they treated them uh, poorly and made them work. And it uses the word as slaves, but doesn't seem to, they made them work. As you see at the end of verse 14 of chapter 1 treated them ruthlessly and made them work as slaves. It doesn't necessarily say that they were enslaved, but they made them work as slaves. So, I don't know if there's a distinction there, but I know uh um in uh as historians and archaeologists, uh combed through Egypt, and I know it's a vast area they're 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 not finding the uh enslavement type areas that the uh that would have been required um and maybe there's something new that I haven't heard about, and that's that happens all the time um I know that they have found uh gigantic uh uh holding areas in the ground that were lined with stone and covered and very large, uh, containment areas, uh, warehouse size in the ground, which, which fit the description, uh, or fit the need of what Joseph would have needed to store away food for the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. So that, that was always interesting to me that they found that, um, People have speculated that it was the Israelites that built the pyramids. There's really no evidence of that, and the time frame uh, for the pyramids being built and the time frame that that uh, Israel was there, they don't really necessarily match up. So, <clears throat> um, I'm not saying they didn't build them, but it's it's a uh, It doesn't seem like the information we currently have lines up with that. It doesn't mean that they weren't treated badly, and it doesn't mean that they didn't overtake the land, because there's lots of evidence that they were there, uh, especially as we go on and we head out of Egypt and cross the Red Sea and onto the other side into the promised land, uh, into the wilderness, and um there's lots of evidence of them being there so I, I think it's just a matter of time before there's more evidence found about them being there in egypt but um we're not there yet so uh the birth of moses uh so um we come down here and in israel's uh they're being treated as slaves and the king doesn't like how fast they're growing and uh <clears throat> he tells the midwives uh, you see the birth stool. If it is a son, you shall kill him. And uh, they didn't want to do that. They don't want to be killing children. So they they said that the the Hebrew wives go off and and have their uh, births secretly, so we don't know what they have—a boy or a girl—and and then uh, later on, they tell them that uh, to go and just kill all the the young sons in order to stop them from becoming a vast army and mighty and and the reason they kill them, the sons is because the sons are the ones who become who fight who rebel who who come up against and so he has them kill them all all the all the babies and uh that is just a satanic evil thing and uh i i just have a note in my bible that says killing the seeds of kingdom potential and that's what satan wants to do all the time he he wants to stop the kingdom potential he's if we have uh, godly men having children uh, who fear the Lord, who fear the the Creator, and then they're going to raise their children up in the fear of the Lord. But if if these women who don't have uh, uh, the Israelite fathers, the godly fathers, they're worshiping other gods, worshiping idols, and they have to go with these men to have children, then their children are going to worship idols and worship uh the the false uh the lesser Elohim and, and that's what's that's what's going on here. So Satan wants to kill the seed of kingdom potential. He always wants to kill the seed of kingdom potential. This continues on. You see this here. You see it again with Jesus when he's born that Herod wants all the children all the babies killed, all the male children two years and younger. And uh even in our day where they're not even discriminating against male or female. It's just uh, this the abortion going on. They, they, they've convinced people, they've convinced society that a child in a womb is not a life. And that's just a lie. It is a life. They know it's a life. A- anyone who stops and ponders and thinks about it knows in their heart of hearts, it's a life. You can convince yourself that it's not a life, but the truth is, is that it is. And, and, and they're doing it, they're 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 sharing this and saying these things under the auspices of convenience it might be inconvenient for you to have a child right now it might not be financially convenient or career orientedly convenient that's just sad uh, but that's where we are that's where we are they're saying it's it's a woman's body it's her right to choose and we don't we don't we don't hate women who've who've had abortions we we are, we are compassionate for them cuz we totally understand that they've been sold a bill of goods they've been told a lie and and they're they're trying to navigate this as best as possible this is why they need the truth uh before and and after just it's that god is god's grace is sufficient god's healing is sufficient god's love is sufficient on both Sides of this equation, and that's what we need to share with people. And so, the killing of the seed of kingdom potential—that's a theme throughout Scripture. So, note it, log it in. You'll find we'll find it in other places. Okay, <clears throat> so we come across a, uh, um, she, a woman. We have her name, a woman conceived or a son, and she uh when she could uh, was a was a fine child, he hid him for three months when she could- couldn't hide him no longer. She took him in a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with pitamo pitmin, bitumen, and pitch pitch interesting word, and she put the child in it and placed it among the the reeds, the banks. And his sister stood by and watched him as he went down the river. So um, Pharaoh's daughter picked him up, pulled him out, called him Moses. And uh, this uh, pitch, interestingly enough, is the same word used for the pitch used for the ark Uh, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 6, 7. Same word used. And again, Used, same word, used in Leviticus 17 for atonement. Same word. And uh, the Greek version of that word in the King James version of the Bible is in Romans uh, 3. sees the propitiation, pitch, right in the middle of it. Same word, same basic structural word in in Greek. It's that pitch, it's that... Sealing Atonement Sealed. Um great stuff. Good good consistent terminology through scripture. Just love to point those things out. Those are very cool. Um and uh you're gonna you're gonna get this on Thursday, and I'm talking you'll have heard a bit more about this on Wednesday night. Uh if I make it. I think I'm gonna make it. It's Tuesday right now, so I think I'm gonna make it. Um So Moses then uh, grows up in Pharaoh's household, and there's very little written about that, uh, how he grows up in Pharaoh's household, but he does grow up to be a man in Pharaoh's household from from the time he was a baby um, in that basket, and... So it says, so the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she had drawn him out of the water. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, I got to use my cough button. I keep forgetting. One day when Moses had grown up, see, we got already there, grown up right away. So in 10, uh, he's young. In 11, he's grown up. So we don't have a lot of that life in between. So it's, it's hard for us to <clears throat> understand all of that, of what happened there. But we know that Moses is the potential author here of, of the books. And uh, so now we, we come into his life and uh, understanding that his education was probably the best it could be at the time. And he's educated in Egypt. And there's some real influence there of intellect and understanding. Talk about it a little more in a bit. Uh, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, looked on their burdens, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of the people, he looked this way and that, which means he made sure he was alone. And seeing that no one was looking, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So he killed a guy hit him in the sand. Next day he comes out, sees two Hebrews arguing, tells them to stop arguing. They already know. That rumor mill was quick. So they say, what are you going to strike us down to? Uh, they don't look at him as a Hebrew. They look at him as an, an Egyptian. The only way they've known him is growing up in the house of Egypt. They don't see him as one of them, but he's, he knows he's one of them. Um, I don't know how he knows this. Somebody has kept him in the loop. Obviously, God could have let him in on that, but it seems like he had a complete awareness that he was an Israelite. So uh, he goes to Midian. uh, He runs away, goes to Midian. They said, if Pharaoh heard of it, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill moses but moses fled from pharaoh and stayed in the land of midian and he sat down by a well it says now the priest of midian now the priest of midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water from the well and uh, fathers flock in egypt came and drove them away but moses stood up and saved them and watered their flocks and they got back early and uh, uh, jethro the father there says well, why are you back so early and so happy that uh, that uh, Moses helped his daughters, that uh, he offered one of them as a bride, Zipporah. And they uh, had children. Gershom, um, he named him. And so uh, then it goes on to the next part. We're going to get into... Uh, During these many days, I'm going to read at the end of chapter 2 of Exodus. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. Again, now it's it's saying slavery. Cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up up to God. God heard their groans. God remembers his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob, and saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Should put my glasses on. It would make this a lot easier. You like my bass voice? Got that? Uh, sounds like a morning voice, but it's really evening right now. Um. Now Moses keeping the flock of father's uh, father-in-law Jethro, and the priest of Midian, and he had his flock to the west side of the wilderness. Came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burning. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet and place on the ground where you stand his holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. All right, got some cool stuff going on here. We got the mountain of God. So we're already looking at this as sacred space, divine space, um, uh, council, council room type of language going on here. And then it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So he saw, he saw the angel of the Lord. So he sees something But then the voice calls out from the bush, so we have two distinct representations going on here. This is uh, mountain space, divine council, divine council language, and Moses. I said Joseph. Moses is coming up on this divine council type of uh event, so this is really cool he, he he says who he is the god of the god of uh, Abraham Isaac, and Jacob <clears throat> three times, and then he goes and tells him he's gonna go back obviously he's he's telling him he's gonna go back um as we get to the end of verse twelve he said he said, but I will be with you And this shall be a sign for you. This is God talking. I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Again, with the mountaintop. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you, they will ask me, What's his name? What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, Now, listen to this language. This is this is interesting. I found this uh, fascinating. It's verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, Isaac, saying, I have observed you, and what you have done in Egypt, okay? The elders language is very interesting in that Egypt, Israel, excuse me, even in bondage, is still set up in a council fashion. They still have set up their leadership with the council presentation. Go gather the elders. I think that's significant in that why would Joseph know that? Why would Joseph know that they have set themselves up in a council arrangement? because that is that is a shadow that is a reflection of how god has inter uh interacted with mankind from the beginning from the time of adam we've talked about this divine council space eden was the divine council space and now uh Moses is now interacting in a divine council space, and he's going to go to them and call them together, the elders of Israel, calling them together to meet as a council to hear what he has to say, what he presents them. I think that's all reflective of how God presented himself from the creation right through to Israel Um not to mention the other the other lands the other people uh are reflective of of what they understand from divine messaging so um so that's very cool now we get to this divine name hava um it's it's uh, it's uh i am and it because it is a uh a word of self-existence. It's uh "I am," "I," "I shall be," "I was." It, it depending on uh, the words because they only have the the, the certain letters. The uh, they don't have any vowels in Hebrew, so it can be any of those things. He, it's the HaVa. It's the it's the divine name, and the, and and they don't even say it. Uh, uh, devout uh, Israelites don't say the name. They say the name instead so uh uh they'll, they'll say Adonai, or they'll say yehovah and uh and then yehovah is 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 a name that's used uh because it uses the same letters the same group of letters as um hava uh, yehovah uses the same group of letters it just it, it just it it, it but it doesn't say the name. It's uh, you know, I, I I guess uh when you're trying not to say the Lord's name in vain, and and I don't even want to go there right now, but some people, you know, they stub their toe and they'll go, Jeepers Crow. And that's, you know, I, I think it's a similar thing. They gave it a substitute. And as a matter of fact, uh Adonai is uh that's how they got the Jehovah. They took the 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 uh, vowels from the Adonai and put it into the Hava and made it uh, uh Jehovah. So that's that's my understanding of that and where that came to be and it's a pretty interesting um etymology and uh but the uh the divine name uh Hava is what he told what he tells him to go to go tell them. Um as we get into four we find out a little bit more about Moses and his own personal struggles, Uh, Moses says to the Lord, verse 10, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He says, Therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what what you shall speak it's thought that that terminology that slow of tongue slow of speech slow of tongue meant that Moses was potentially a stutterer he had trouble with stammering or stuttering um so Moses returns to Egypt um uh, And uh, he gets, uh, we're in the five and six. After Moses and Aaron went and and said to Pharaoh, thus said the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. There's that famous word, let my people go. Oh, I got the nice voice too going on now. Um, But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go. A three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the, our Lord, uh, lest we fall upon us pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to work, get back to your burden. And behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. So he made it harder for them after that because he wanted to let them go. He said that now they'll make the brick without straw, no straw is given to your servants uh, to make the bricks. So he's making the work harder. But uh, this is uh, chapter six that the Lord now. uh, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, and 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 he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob as Almighty God, but by my name, the Lord, the, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So he didn't make himself known by his name to them. Moses is the first one to get his name. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel. So it goes on there. And uh, we get down to uh, 10. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am an uncircumcised lips, of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So then it goes on, and, and there's a genealogy that kind of splits in the middle here. These are the heads of the fathers' houses. Uh, Sons of Reuben goes through the whole thing. And then we get to the bottom of chapter 6. It says, On on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And we're going to leave it right there with that question hanging hanging there in the air i am of uncircumcised lips how will pharaoh listen to me you will have to tune in next week and see what the rest of the story is (laughs) keep reading my friends you can get a head start on that chapter seven Next week, you'll be getting your new Bible reading plan on lifecoastchurch.org. You should have already gotten it. <clears throat> Got it emailed. If you have signed up on wakeuptotheword.org, you can go there and sign up for your own, get it in the, get it your email, get your own copy right away. Before anybody else gets a copy, you get it first. So we're glad you're there. We're still being heard in four countries and we have over 600 views and or listens, depending on what you want to call it. And uh, we're averaging about a hundred a week. So uh, thank you so much for telling your friends and keep sharing. And uh, we'll keep spreading the word of God. We just keep letting Him know the uh, God's with you. So don't worry about how slow your lips are or if you're a stutterer or a stamina, God created your mouth, speak his words advance the kingdom of God. Love you guys. See you soon.